0: You want to be the best, you know, you want to put on this perception, you have it all together. And I think you might feel, I know I always felt like this, if if anybody saw a crack that I didn't have it all together, then they felt like I couldn't do anything good. So when I feel like the moment I started becoming vulnerable, it does make you brave. It, it does give you courage. But then I think what it also does Tim, is it gives the person you're sharing it with their own courage to say in themselves, oh, well, guess what? I'm kind of feeling this way too. So maybe this is kind of safe and, and they're not
1: falling apart.
0: So maybe I can
1: share a little bit more of myself. In the 1950s, women accounted for 30% of the workforce. Today, they account for nearly half. So why do we still have toxic work environments and why do we struggle to increase female leadership? Today on the KL Podcast, we speak to Amanda Weeks Jeveden, an executive at U.S. Bank and a co-founder of Advancing Women in Nashville. Amanda Weeks Jeveden,
2: welcome to the KL Podcast. How are you today?
0: great. It's so much fun to be here on a Friday morning with you guys. I'm super excited, super excited to talk about
2: this. Oh, this is great. Thank you so much for joining us. So, Amanda, you're the Senior Vice President and Managing Director at U.S. Bank in Nashville, uh, but I'm going to go light on the banking questions today. We really are wanting to talk more about your quote-unquote other job, uh, which is co-founder of Advancing Women in Nashville. Tell us a little bit about a win
0: advancing women in Nashville I think was a crazy idea uh, that came to me back in uh, gosh probably the end of 2018 where I felt like I was not as connected to women in leadership in other corporations outside of banking right you know in banking in law in in medicine you know who your competitors are right you know who the other folks are in leadership but I didn't know other industries. And the only way I would find out about these women and their stories, which stories are super important, was reading the National Business Journal, where they would highlight a woman like the CEO of Bridgestone or the CEO of Cracker Barrel. And I thought, gosh, how many women leaders do we have in this city? And I don't even know who they are. And so I felt like there had to be some way that we could bring women leaders together in large corporations. That's really kind of how it started.
2: That's great. So, you started AWIN about two years ago, and what's the progress been like since then?
0: You know, it has been overwhelmingly positive. And I, I think, Tim, sometimes things have to be at the right time and at the right place. If yeah. we had this idea, Makesha Montgomery, partner at Frost Brown Todd, if she and I would have tried to pull this together five years ago, it would have landed flat no doubt about it, like our only two companies would be in AWIM. Uh, But I think because of the Me Too movement, uh, I think also because of companies advancing and seeing they needed to keep uh, more people in the workforce in corporate America, they needed to keep them leaving to go start their own businesses, it gave us a very unique opportunity to go to companies with an idea where they can help advance women leaders with a High impact and low involvement, being a low involvement on the company side, right, of the work that they're going to have to do. Again, it could have been just our two companies, but as of, gosh, two weeks from now, we're going to have 30 companies in Advancing Women in Nashville. And I'm not talking little companies. I'm talking some of the largest corporations, either headquartered or regionally headquartered here in Nashville.
2: So it sounds like you feel like progress has been made specifically in the last five years. What gender equality progress have you seen?
0: I think the adoption, and really a lot of my experience uh, is all about large corporations. So I've been in the financial services industry for 28 years. So I don't have a realm of experience being my own entrepreneur or an experience of working in a small business with a hundred people. My companies have all been tens of thousands of employees. So that's really where my lens comes from. And I think back to when I started in 1993, and even in the 2000s, the mid-2000s, BRGs, business resource groups, ERGs, employee resource groups, were just starting to come online. When I was with U.S. Bank back in 2003, 2004, we had development networks. That was a networking and grouping in your market, so Middle Tennessee, but there wasn't business resource groups, and I think it's taken a long time. I'm so proud of U.S. Bank and the diversity of our business resource groups. When we were going to companies to pitch a win to them, we found companies that had either very robust ERGs, Asurian and Dell come to mind, ones that didn't even have an ERG, and said, hey, we need a win because we need to launch an ERG for women. That would be Tractor Supply. There are women out here groups that didn't exist until literally right when we were launching a win. So I think you have a progression of companies in different industries that were coming along differently when it came to ERGs. And then you might have one, whether it's women, African American, LGBTQIA. And they just continue, veterans is another one, and then they continue to get traction. But I think a lot of times these large corporations need to see other people doing it, see how it's working to allow them to kind of jump on board.
2: Yeah, that's fabulous. So, I mean, you mentioned that you've been in the banking industry for a long time, and I think of the banking industry as being a male-dominated space. And certainly, Henry, Josh, and I work in the technology industry Where it is male dominated, what advice would you have for women who work in a male dominated industry or space?
0: So this is going to be my first hashtag choose to challenge uh, on the International Women's Day thing because I'm going to challenge you (laughs) on that. Every industry is a male dominated industry, and and honestly, Tim. I thought banking was a male-dominated industry. I totally get what you're saying. Tech is a male-dominated industry. When we sat down and had our first meeting at AWIN um, two years ago this next month, and women at Bridgestone said, I work in a male-dominated industry. Well, of course you do. That's tires. And then Tractor Supply said, well, I work in a male-dominated industry. We sell you know, equipment for farms and and those types of products. And then somebody at PwC said, "Well, gosh, we're in accounting. That's mostly men anyway." And then Skanska, we're construction. So, there, every industry, is probably a male dominated industry, right? And I think if you ask uh, an African American, they may say every industry. And leadership is a white industry, right? So, I mean, I think you, that's, you challenge it. Every industry could be whatever you want to call it if you're not the dominant player in that industry.
2: So let's just say every industry is male-dominated. <laughs> what advice would you have for women? And I'll just stop right there.
0: My advice would include a couple of things. The first one would be be yourself. Right, Be your authentic vulnerable self. I think we're the best when we show up at work as our true person. So not putting on any airs. I think the second one is finding not only sponsors, but mentors and sounding boards. And then third, have a plan. So, you know, I might rephrase that a little bit and have your plan first. Like, what's your goal in that organization? And then as you might run up against something, whether it's positive or negative, then you use your sounding board. You know, when you have, I've heard of a situation where somebody came to me and said, my boss expects me to sit in my chair from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. because he can. I've got to pick my kids up at 5. That doesn't mean I'm not going to go back home long on at 9 o'clock at night when my kids finish up and go to bed and finish that project. So there's all sorts of ways to get things done. And sometimes we just need a community to help us when we run into those roadblocks, how can we re-navigate it or reset? Uh, But when you have a plan, you can always go down that plan and make tweaks all along the way.
2: Yeah, it's so good. You, You mentioned, Amanda, you didn't mention it, you're right in my face with it, let's be honest, that the theme of IWD 2021 is choose to challenge. So what's that mean to you? How's that relevant to your work and life?
0: I believe choose to challenge is both internal and external. Like internally, I have to understand what is acceptable and what's not acceptable. And then externally, I've got to be able to stand up and say something. The easier thing a lot of times is to go with the flow and not say something. If I'm in a meeting and a colleague references that I should take the notes because I'm a female, although I might be the most senior person in the room, instead of just letting that go, I need to to call it out in a very respectful way and maybe not in that meeting, but take that person aside and say, hey, I just need you to understand that when you ask me to take meeting notes. That comes across as if I'm not adding other value to the conversation, not throwing it in their face. But again, to me, that's calling it out, right? Recognizing that, you know, gosh, I, I can think of some AWIN, uh members who've said, I've actually gone to my company and said, hey, we need a chief diversity officer. Like, how can we make change if we don't even have a, a senior person in that role? That's huge to challenge for me, recognizing it, educating yourself about it internally, and then being able to respectfully bring it up uh, to help make change.
2: Yeah, I'll tell you what I love about that theme is it's all-encompassing, because choose to challenge really speaks to men as much as women, maybe more, because you are talking about how, as a strong female leader in your workplace, you're, you're challenging some things, but you know, men have to challenge it as well. I mean, it's, we don't get where we want to be without men stepping up as well. So what can men do to help achieve equality?
0: I think you said it, Tim. We have to all be aware, right? We all yeah. have to educate ourselves. What comment? If if that happened in a situation and I didn't, take that person aside and say, hey, this kind of landed wrong on me, how are they going to know it's not an appropriate comment? If I say something that offends somebody or doesn't come across the right way, I would hope that they would point it out to me, right? So if we don't recognize what's going on and address it in a respectful way, we can't make change. So proud of many of our leaders within AWIN. There are male allies, I've worked for male bosses. I kind of thought through this uh, as I was preparing for this podcast. I haven't worked for a female since 2004. That's okay with me. I love my male leaders. I gain a lot of insight from them, and they do support women. And I think the more that I'm able to share with them my perspective, uh, many of them, quite frankly, all of them are fathers of daughters. And I think now uh, when you're having, you know, my leaders are all, you know, middle of their career, their dads or their granddads, and I've heard this from other leaders, uh, C-suite leaders in some of our a one companies is I'm now seeing what my daughters or granddaughters are facing in the workforce, and it gives me a different perspective. So again, if we don't have male allies, I mean, this is a, a work we all do together. It's not one independent group that makes change.
2: Yeah, and I I think you're exactly right. When you personalize it like that, the lens becomes different very quickly, doesn't it? Because, um, you know, my wife works. And when I look at things through her lens, I get very protective of it. And I have two daughters who are now entering the workforce when I look at things through their lens. I get very protective, and the reality of the situation is that I should have been looking at it through that lens all along, you know. And I don't feel like I've had some um, massive change, you know. It's not a hundred and eighty degree um, turnaround, but it has changed. There's no doubt. I mean, I if I'm being honest with myself, you know, I feel like I have been an advocate for women for a long time, but when I just click down to my wife and my kids, I'm like, yeah, I could have done a little bit more. And I think, you know, maybe that's the lens that we all need to start looking at is, you know, doing, doing just enough, maybe isn't enough.
0: And Tim, I think it's sharing your story. Like what made that change for you? Right. That's what, like that would be powerful for me to know if I know that your daughter had an experience in the workplace, that you became more protective over whatever that is then that allows me the opportunity to share that with other people and you hashtag choose to challenge you share that with other men that you work with hey my daughter went through i mean that's the organicness of this right is is us sharing these experiences and these stories where we do change our thinking a little bit right that's how that's how another white male allies
2: can help the themes here Amanda, are things that we talk about a lot, authenticity and communication and how critical they are to, you know, so many different facets of our life. Let's scoot back for just a second to International Women's Day because we went straight to the theme and we didn't really talk about the actual day. So, Mm -hmm. you know, it's coming up on March 8th. What does International Women's Day mean to you personally?
0: International Women's Day means something different to me starting in 2019 than it did before. Uh, This is probably going to be my vulnerable moment on this podcast, is that I did not celebrate International Women's Day before 2019. And quite frankly, I don't know if I even knew much about it. I might have heard it in passing, but I really didn't know it or understand it. And that's shameful. I should know about it, but I didn't. Through The AWIN companies that we worked with, uh, they celebrated International Women's Day on a grand scale in their organizations. And when we decided to launch AWIN, we were sitting in a board meeting in January just trying to determine with all of these companies when would be an appropriate time to launch this new organization. And I believe it was a Shireen, it may even have been Dell and PwC all coming in and saying, we need to do it on International Women's Day. There will be a theme. I mean, that's a, a day of celebration, a day of recognition, a day of, of quite frankly, challenge and, and ownership. And we said there's no better day to launch Advancing Women in Nashville than International Women's Day. So in March of 2019, it took on a whole new world for me. And I'm excited about International Women's Day. Uh, like I said, you know, last year, balance is better. Um, you know, we've had great, robust conversations with people around International Women's Day. We've had media coverage around it. Uh, I've been able to share uh, ownership around International Women's Day within my company. And I know other Awin companies have been able to build on that theme as well.
2: So I think I'm the poster child Amanda for the value of a company emphasizing, you know, International Women's Day or having strong ERGs because I I like you. I wasn't familiar with with Women's Day until Dell, you know, socialized it for me, I suppose. And you know, when I just glanced at the history, it's been celebrated in one form or another for over a hundred years. Now, it isn't one of these celebrations that started in the U.S. and then it kind of just filtered across internationally, you know. And now it's International Women's Day. It actually started internationally, and now it's getting to the United States. It's it's actually a holiday in in like twenty five countries around the world. Um, but you know, I think it just speaks to how important it is for our workplaces to shine a spotlight on on the day and on causes that are important because through ERGs and through my workplaces, you know, that's how I became aware of it in the first place. Is is there something that you'll do specifically to celebrate on March 8th? Tim,
0: I'm so excited to tell you how I will celebrate International Women's Day. Although I wish it would be in person, and if I closed my eyes for just a moment, I can visualize what that will look like. However, virtually, I will be celebrating with hopefully up to 500 people here in the Middle Tennessee area. And we've made it a tradition at Advancing Women in Nashville to take International Women's Day and celebrate it with our AWIN companies. So year one, 2019, we had 11 companies that we celebrated International Women's Day together. Last year, we doubled that and had 24 companies as part of Advancing Women in Nashville, celebrating International Women's Day, making it a launch, quite frankly, a launch of the organization and year two, a launch of the second cohort. On March 8th, we're going to do it again. We're not only going to celebrate choose to challenge the International Women's Day thing, we're going to launch the third cohort of Advancing Women in Nashville. As of right now, this day, we have seven committed companies to join the work that the other 23 are doing. Uh, We have have conversations actually today with some very well-known companies. I hope to have that cohort filled with 12 additional companies to be able to launch on International Women's Day include those companies in the important work that we're doing in advancing women in national. That's great. So it's a That's big celebration, Tim. I gotta get you an invite if you don't already have one.
2: You don't wanna miss it. I do I do need one. And you know, you're right, it you is do. a celebration. And you know, I think if if there are people who aren't familiar with, with, with International Women's Day, you know, there might be, if they've never participated, they might think to themselves, you know is this a protest is it a day of reflection like what's going on with this but it is a celebration and i know you know when i participate in the in the activities at my workplace cuz that's that's mm-hmm. who provides those for me i'm mm-hmm. i'm charged up when i get finished but the women that i work with are floating i mean they are so full of energy and power for weeks and weeks after that day, it is really amazing um, the impact that it has. Is it, is it the same for you and, and the people that you work with?
0: No doubt. No doubt. It's, it's like this um, feeling of I've celebrated what we've accomplished. I've gotten great new ideas on where I need to be focused next. And you're charged up, ready to go to start acting on those. You know, when I think about our first uh, International Women's Day celebration at Advancing Women in Nashville, when we had this panel that was so impressive, we had um, different generations of corporate leaders, and then we had small group situations. Tim, folks were weeping. I'm not gonna lie, because they felt like they were in a safe environment, and they felt like they could visit about what their experiences were, but then to take that turn and make it positive and say, what can I do to make change individually and collectively as a group? I think this year is going to be just that, even if we're virtual. Uh, We're excited to hear from Kia Jarman, is a very well-known speaker uh, all around women's issues and diversity and equity and inclusion. We're happy to have her. We're happy to invigorate our new companies that are joining us. And then we're also going to be launching the AWIN Mighty Network, which is going to be a a collaborative app to where all of our members are going to be able to chat about conversations. They're going to be able to join book clubs. They're going to be able to, um, you know, work on advocacy projects, community connection projects. So again, taking that energy, Tim, that you talked about, when you leave an International Women's Day event, we're going to take it and give you immediate opportunities to get engaged so you don't lose that excitement and energy. That's the important part about it, right? You don't want it to go away in two days and forget about it till next year. You want to keep working through that and keep that at a high level.
2: Yeah, for sure, and you know, you mentioned the the cross generational celebration. It, that strikes me as well. I, you know, when I see it, I just think, man, there's three generations here, maybe four. Um, there's a you know, there's a new generation coming in the workforce right now, but it just strikes you the the generations coming together like that, and that kind of leads me into legacy. And influential figures in our life. So, is there a spe- specific female leader or a specific moment of women's empowerment or accomplishment that personally inspires you?
0: This is a wonderful question, and I could take it a lot of different ways. You know, you have all of these famous feminists that I could could reference. Um, but I think I've learned in my career, probably the first 10 years of my career, I was a really good manager. I'm not going to lie. I was great. I was great on data. I was <laughs> great on activity. Uh, but I wasn't a leader, right? And so I think there were a lot of things about being a leader that helped me. Um, and I had one manager that did a really good job of making sure that I was a little bit more authentic and showed my colleagues the people side of me, not just the business side. And fast forward to probably about uh, eight years ago or so, I discovered Brene Brown from my mom, actually. Yes. Oh my gosh. Right. Like, so she doesn't work for a large corporation and she's not a CEO, right? So you would think somebody, you know, who's worked in a, you a, um, know, in corporations the whole life would like look at, you know, the Cracker Barrel CEO and think, oh my gosh, I'm, this is who I look up to. But I, It wasn't. It was somebody who's a a leader and who's helping people think about leadership differently. So it's Brene Brown. It's, you know, the book's about gifts of imperfection. As a mom of a senior in high school, I struggled many years along the way that I wasn't the mom who picked up every afternoon, who got to go on every field trip, and who brought homemade cookies. Brene wrote that in a book that you can bring store-bought cookies and don't feel bad about it because you're doing other work, right? Then going about rising strong. In in that book, she talked about showing up in the arena. I mean, I was scared to sometimes have conflict with somebody, but I showed up in the arena and it maybe helped our relationship or didn't repair it. But gosh, I go back and say, well, at least I showed up. At least I had the courage to say, hey, you asked me to take notes in a meeting. I add a lot more value. Here's what that's true Brene Brown. You know, then you go back to being a brave leader, right? And so for me, it's been Brene Brown. I think on the other side, this is my fun side, Tim, is Dolly Parton. And I'll tell you why. It's not that she's a great <laughs> singer, although she is. And it's not, that, um, it's not that she's famous. It's who she is at her core. I've never, ever heard anybody say anything bad about Dolly Parton. I've listened to podcasts on Dolly. I've, I've seen... I don't even know how many interviews about her. She is the authentic person. And if you don't like the way that she looks, she really just doesn't care. She likes who she (laughs) is and she's unapologetic for it. And she is a giver, right? The work that she does with Imagination Library, what she did with the, the vaccine trials, what she did in Gatlinburg, we should all be givers in our life to whatever scope that we can. And then finally, I think you just have to be a good person. You know, if you if you listen to some of the podcasts or interviews that she's done, she's actually done one with with Brene Brown that's over the top. One of the things that she says she doesn't get involved in politics. She doesn't she doesn't say uh, she has fans that are all over every demographic, right? Every political affiliation. You gotta get you gotta find ways to work with everyone, and so she just walks her line and keeps those things to herself, but just tries to do the right thing all the time. So Brene Brown, Dolly Parton, two sides of the frame, but those are my those are my girls. I, I gotta meet them both sometime. That's my that's my dream.
2: Oh, that's such an amazing answer. Let's go back to Brene Brown for a second, although mm-hmm. I I feel like we could have a podcast devoted solely to Dolly Parton. You know, when I listen to Brene Brown, the two things that I that I always think about are somehow she has hit this balance between being vulnerable and being strong and courageous. And, you know, we talk about that a lot with kind leadership, she makes herself vulnerable. And in the process, it actually makes her strong, I don't want to use the word intimidating, because that's, that's not really the word. But she makes herself vulnerable. And then like, all of a sudden, you have this heightened respect for her courage for just saying what it is you know that she has hesitation or doubt about and I think we can all learn from that you know because there's a lot of people walking around who aren't authentic and they're trying to you know maybe display something that's not exactly representative of their true self but to me that's the piece with Brene Brown, that just always strikes me is how vulnerable she makes herself. And in the process, you come out on the other side and you're like, man, she's so strong because of it. But ironically, people don't want to be vulnerable because they think it makes them look weak. I was on
0: a recent breakout group with folks, and one of the questions was, how are you handling the pandemic? And so this is an example of a conscious vulnerable moment to give people the opportunity to be vulnerable, right? to be brave and to be strong and to have courage. Like Brene says, you know, we were talking about the pandemic and somebody said, uh, what was like a turning moment in the pandemic for you? And I was like, guys, I had some really rough days. I can remember after going through the PPP plan and working through that with clients night after night, 24 seven, helping them gain money through the SBA. I would sit in my office on the floor and watch like four episodes of Supermarket Sweep on rerun, <laughs> because I just couldn't couldn't bring I couldn't bring it anymore. That could have made me look really weak, right? But to me, it was the right thing to say because it's really what happened. I mean, sometimes you have to take a moment for yourself. You know, when I see Brene's post of I'm scared, I'm nervous. Those are those vulnerable moments where you say, "Tim, it really shows a lot of courage. You're you're willing to put yourself out there."
2: Yeah, well, and I think you're exactly right. You know, there's, you have to be a little careful with the stories that you share, but I think there's so much power in humanizing yourself as a leader and it provides so much connection. And as you said, it encourages others to share. And I think that's how we build relationships. So Mm -hmm. sticking with the topic of, you know, cross-generation, and legacy and influence. You know, I want to flip the lens really quickly because you talked about the people that inspire you. So, but you know, clearly you're an inspiration to others. And I'm sure that you mentor on a regular basis. What do you what do you believe is going to be the biggest challenge for the generation of women behind you?
0: Ken, had we done this two years ago, even a year ago actually? not like March 15th, like in February, before the pandemic happened, it would be a different answer. This answer now is going to be, we have to be creative. We have to challenge our companies to continue to allow flexibility to keep women in the workforce and to keep us going on the ladder. Um, I, I do think what we've seen in the, the 2020 McKinsey study talks about this, is that one in four women are getting off the ladder, leaving the workforce because of what we faced in the pandemic with work-life balance, children at home, and those sorts of things. When, when I mentor women, one of the women I'm mentoring right now, we're talking a lot about where does she find joy in her job? I want her to find joy. She's about to have her second baby. She needs to find joy. And because you want to keep going at 35, she, she wants to keep going till she's 60. So finding joy every day. Work is not fabulous every day, right? But overall, are you finding joy and are you being fulfilled? And so helping her figure out what that track looks like. I think there's going to be more of those conversations of how can you find joy? How can you in this new environment work? To continue to make sure that you're seen and relevant. I think that's going to be hard. And how can we help women through virtual mentoring, through organizations like AWIN, through your own BRGs, and through real specific sponsorship? This is what I'm thinking about as I'm onboarding new people that will be moving into leadership one day. As a leader, again, challenging our leaders will have to be real intentional. I have people that I've brought on board, Tim, I have not met them in person.
1: Yeah,
2: I can relate to that. So just kind
0: of let that hang, right? Kind of let that hang. You know, I think about women starting their legal career. Makisha Montgomery, my co-founder with AWIN, she's talking about how that younger generation of attorneys are very happy to work at home and they might be co-locating, but how are those female attorneys going to be able to sit with partners and really understand the flow of the work? in person, that's how it's been before. So we're gonna have to be real intentional leadership, top of the house, all the way down, cross leadership, not only through your business line, but also through these ERGs, to make sure that we come up with creative ways to help people still get leadership development and keep helping them in their career while balancing what this new world looks like in that, I think a lot of people are gonna say, I don't want it to go back to the way that it was. I don't wanna go back sitting in a chair 7.30 a.m. to 6 p.m., a long commute. I see the value of being able to have a hybrid situation.
2: Do you think the, you know, you just talked about women leaving the workplace because of the pandemic. And Mm -hmm. there's no denying that. I mean, the data shows it. I saw some some data the other day that said, I think uh, in the last quarter of 2020, 100,000 women left the workplace while 16,000 men joined it. Um. So, you know, there's data that supports that for sure. That's not just a notion on your part. Do you mm-hmm. think that re- the remote workplace actually helps? I mean, you know, let's kind of get away from the pandemic because I know mm-hmm. there's all kinds of implications mm-hmm. there, but it feels like a remote workplace would offer a higher level of work-life balance. Is that advantageous mm-hmm. um, to, to retaining women?
0: Yes, yeah, it is advantageous. And I hate to put a butt in there. I'm in, a, I'm in a unique situation, right? I'm a mom of a teenager. My child drives, he's about to go to college. I have good work-life balance. If I was at home and I have friends that are at home with three children under the age of eight, right? Regardless of whether or not they're in school from eight to three or not, those responsibilities are still there, right? So how do you, that's the, that's the challenge. And I think, As moms, a lot of times, and wives, and as single people, we have a tendency to put more responsibilities on ourselves. So then I think the ownership comes back to us to say, okay, just because I'm at home a little longer, right, doing my work, I still have to have good boundaries. I still need to put my computer down at whatever time, leave my work phone upstairs, and go down and be with my family. I don't need to add more home responsibilities on myself. That's the way that I look at it. You know, on my usual hour commute time in the morning, what am I doing with that time? Well, personally, I walk with my husband and my dog, you know, I sit down and have breakfast and then I come upstairs and do some meditation and some reading, right? If you're just, not taking that time for yourself, you're going to burn yourself out, right? If you're taking those two hours at the end and, and beginning of every day to do more, to do more work, to do more home stuff, you're just going to wear yourself out. So I think, again, it's helping figure out what that balance looks like and talking if you have a, a partner, talking to them and saying, hey, gosh, you know, help me not come check the computer at 10 o'clock at night until I have to respond to every email, right? you know, challenging a, a friend to help you do that, right? An accountability partner on some of those things. So that way you can and talk to your your boss, right? I mean, I think there's a huge part of that. I know that I all through this I've talked to my boss and say, gosh, I love the Ability I have to work from home. I feel I'm dedicated. Here's what I'm missing. You know, here's what I'm looking forward to: is sitting around the table with a team and doing whiteboarding. But I'm going to need that flexibility to keep myself energized, so I don't get in the routine and the ruts that maybe I faced the last, you know, 28 years of being somewhere at 7:30 in the morning and not leaving till five in the afternoon.
2: Yeah, it's so good. You know, once again, we go back to communication, and I love mm-hmm. what you said earlier about. You know, you need to find the joy and fulfillment for the people that you work with, because, you know, I think we all know that joyful and energized employees stay longer, they, they produce more, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean they work longer hours, but they're just more productive um, employees. So as leaders, I think that's probably what we need to focus on is some really authentic conversations where we cut to the heart of the matter. So Amanda, thank you so much for joining us. I certainly appreciate the conversation and I hope you have a happy International Women's Day and give me that invitation. We wanna join you.
0: Oh, Tim, it's coming in the email right now. Don't you worry. Thanks for having me and thanks for giving me the opportunity to share more about Advancing Women in Nashville and International Women's Day.
1: How much energy and excitement does Amanda Weeks-Jevedon have? That conversation, Tim, was just brimming with, with energy. Josh, were you were you picking that up?
3: Yeah, I'll tell you what I really liked out of that conversation, too. And it, it it's kind of a common theme in the ones that we had throughout Black History Month and even before that is, you know, everybody keeps calling out being authentic, right? Bringing your authentic self yeah. in, which yeah. is really awesome because personally, it, it, it empowers. But I think the bigger piece of that is those people that we lead it empowers them to be the best version of themselves as well right or to be vulnerable or to open up and and to feel more connected so that that was really cool to see that theme continue for me another piece that i really liked about that conversation was the hashtag of choose to challenge i think that's yeah. huge right in in being yeah. an advocate uh, you called it out tim right it's it's choose to challenge for the females in the workplace but i think it's equally as huge for the males
1: yeah, uh, I mean Yeah,
2: that's the piece that I like the, the most about that theme. Yeah, you know, I mentioned it in the conversation, but it's an all-inclusive theme because you know we're we're all challenged by making this world more inclusive. It speaks to me. I mean, as a white male, you know, kind of on the outside looking in. Clearly, I'm not the face of International Women's Day. Um, but that theme really
1: speaks to me. It does. Well, yeah, it should. I mean, you know, she talked about allyship and and I was there at that first cohort for Advancing Women in Asheville with with those 11 companies that were in the room. I was one of the four or five men who were in this room of 250, 300 women. And, and uh, and she, you know, she's Amanda was on stage. I hadn't met her at this point. She's on stage and she's pointing to me and these other guys in the room and saying, these are the people we need here. Yes, we want to have women in the room, but if we don't have men in the room, then we're not talking to the people who uh, who can help us whenever we have to choose to challenge. And Josh, you know, you talked about being yourself and being authentic. Those, that piece, those three pieces of advice that she offered, uh, you know, the two other pieces were find sponsors and have a plan, know what your goal. I, I loved, I love that so much. And the other yeah, thing I loved was just how proud she is of the companies that are part of advancing women in Nashville. I mean, how many times did she name drop Ashuri and Dell, PwC, Skanska and US Bank, just to name a few. I mean, there's so many more, but I just, I mean, she clearly loves not only what she does, but what the, but the, the initiatives that she gets to support.
2: Back to that situation, Henry, where you were one of four men in a room full of hundreds of women. How aware were you of your other status?
1: I was very aware of it. And, and yeah. the thing was, I mean, I felt, I felt outnumbered and and a, a little bit yeah. uncomfortable. And it, and it opened my eyes uh, in that moment as to what it was like for women in our line of business, in the tech industry, when they go in, you know, if they're going in, if a female leader is going in with her sales team, it's probably all a bunch of guys. And they're going to go meet with an IT leader who's also a guy whose team is probably also very male. And she's in this room and she's the only female. It doesn't matter what your title is. You can very quickly feel outnumbered yeah it, it so you went exactly where I was going to go.
2: I've been in similar situations um I wasn't necessarily thinking about a gender situation like that. I was thinking more of a race situation so i've I've been in a situation where you know I'm one of just a couple white people in in a room full of of black people and I'll tell you what you appreciate very quickly is the welcoming voice yeah, yeah. i mean that that welcoming voice is everything. That first person that acknowledges you, that tries to connect with you, it is so appreciated and critical and just lowers the tension. And we can all learn from that because you're exactly right, Henry. You know, I think it's important for us to understand that that is the way, you know, a lot of people go through life. And right. It's our responsibility to be that welcoming voice.
1: Thank you again to Amanda Weeks-Chevedon. And we hope you're supporting women in your workplace and celebrating women's history. Next week, the KL Podcast returns to our classic format as we discuss how to do more with less. We hope to see you then.
2: more KL podcasts, visit kindleadershipproject.com, follow us on LinkedIn, or find us on your favorite streaming service. This podcast
3: is an expression of the views of Kind Leadership and its team. We're always open for discussion, so find us on social media and give us your thoughts.